Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a perceptive theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. In this podcast, three featured storytellers are intermixed with a community story slam. Today's featured stories are from Brooke Burton, David Tuttle, and Mike Krause. It's time to come to your senses, literally, but also metaphorically. Earlier this season, we covered all five senses, so we conclude this series with the theme, The Sixth Sense. Listen to your intuition. It's story time. Welcome to our seance. If you have an open seat next to you at your seance table, would you just raise your hand to let people know if you're over here on the side and or standing and you would like to be seated at a table? These folks with their hands up will welcome you to their seance circle. Ah, here's some people looking for a table. Yep, table for two, okay. Now don't get too nervous about being at a seance table because after all, seance is really just a French word for assembly. And we are, excuse me, and we are assembled together for our theme, the sixth sense. And helping me set this theme Sorry, the spirit was coming through. (laughs) Helping me to set the theme this evening is our sound sculpture artist, Alejandro Anastasio. Thank you. Now, Alejandro, you are using your sixth sense to guide you in this (laughs) musical. So tell us a little bit about this instrument because I won't be able to go on until people know what this is about. This is the theremin, the world's first electronic musical instrument, invented in 1919, so about 104 years old. Oh. Yeah, this thing is great. You play it without touching it. Which is great for a one-handed guy. Considered the... (laughs) No, that's really a joke. It's okay. Considered the easiest instrument to approach, but the most difficult to play. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is... uh, pivotal historic musical instrument. And this is made by Moog, who invented the synthesizer, and he got his start making theremins in his garage in 1957. And the history of the theremin is amazing. I'll get to that more later. And how do you play, like, what are the how guidelines? Yeah, yeah. How, do, how are the guidelines here? <laughs> what are the guidelines? That's, this, this, is the, <laughs> this is the pitch antenna. So the closer I get my hand to this antenna, the higher the pitch. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so I had a beer, it's gonna sound like this. And then in the morning, if I play, it's a lot of coffee, it sounds like this. Okay, and this side is the volume side. So it it creates two electrons. electromagnetic fields, it's a proximity instrument. So this side's volume, the higher I get my arm, the higher the volume. Mm. 
tonight during our seance, you know, sometimes you ask the spirit to knock once for yes, twice for no. Tonight we'll just be asking the spirit to play the theremin. Uh, so if Alejandro's nowhere near it and you start to hear it play, we will know something's happening. We have some more people to introduce. I'm sorry, I didn't introduce myself. I am your medium. Uh, your host, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you. And we have a team of mediums here this evening to interpret the stories from the spirit world. Next to me here is Lavona Andrew. And we will be uh, joined later by Sarah McIver, I believe. Yes, okay. Thank you, Sarah. I would also like to thank the spirit of our season sponsor, Chandra Group, for being here tonight. Thank you, Chandra Group. I believe that's their theme song that you just... Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And now, if you would all, uh, we don't want the seance to be interrupted, so if you would please silence your electronic instruments. And then if you would join me by placing your hands on the top of your table. I won't ask you to hold hands because hygiene. And now if you are a story subscriber, if you would just allow your hand to lift up off of the table and into the air. Look at all these story subscribers, wonderful. Now these are individuals who support us monthly and in exchange for that they do have access to tickets for all the shows. And if you would like to have your hand rise into the air in the future, uh, you can use that electronic device I just had you silence to text story sub, as one word, story sub, to 44321. I heard a spirit just there. Yeah. Uh, all right, put your hands on the table again. And everyone just concentrate on the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Oh, something is. Yes, I feel it happening. All right, and now think to yourself, if this is your first time at Story Story Night, you're wondering, what, what is this I have come, come to? Allow your hand to rise into the air if this is your first time at Story Story Night. Yes, welcome. Thank you for being here. All right, and the structure of the show, our show is in two acts, and it is a mixture of featured storytellers who will be joining me in their physical manifestations right here on this stage. And then we also intermix that with a community story slam. And if you have a five-minute story inspired by the theme, The Sixth Sense, you can visit our friends over here at the story booth, write your name on a little ticket, and the spirits will choose 
We do have some more chairs coming in here, so if the people are standing along the wall and you'd like a chair, those are coming in. Or if you want to be seated at a table, uh, there are a few empty chairs. It's open seating, so if you see an empty chair at a table, that could be for you as well. Uh, what else about the structure of the show? I think that's, I think that's it for the structure of the show. Uh, the sixth sense, so that intuition, that inner voice, hearing from the beyond. Now I'm going to invite our featured storytellers up onto the stage in reverse order. Uh, first up to the stage, a man who may not need sixth sense. I don't know. Look at him. You be the judge. Mike Krause. Here he comes. And the only storyteller this evening whose story is licensed, David Tuttle. David. He's still coming. And first up to the mic, a woman who is, has in the past been behind the lens on the other side of the camera as one of our staff photographers. And this time she's moving on this side of the lens. A woman who, I believe this is her first time to the Story Story Night microphone on our featured story stage. And we are questioning her sense. Please welcome Brooke Burton. That's cool. Hello, so I'm Brooke Burton, and regarding intuition, I think of it as a little voice that's kind of back here, way in the back. I'm the front, like front of the house, and that's the back of the house. And this little voice of intuition is something that got me a very late night apology. So here's how it happened. I was, a few years ago, looking at my bucket list, why, I don't know, and on there it said, be an actor. So, cool, I can do that. I found some classes, check, they had them in Boise. Film classes, by the way, not stage. And they have photographers here, so I got my headshots. Check. I started networking. I got an agent. Check. And then I started getting auditions. Check, 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 <laughs> check. You get used to that after a while. So um, along came this project that I was very excited about. I'd read the script. I, I knew a lot of people involved. And there was two really cool female characters. One of them was a edgy, sarcastic, cynical detective. And the other one was a kooky love interest. So I auditioned for both. And I was too young for the detective, and I was too kooky for the love interest. <laughs> That's what I've been telling myself, anyway. So I didn't get either of the roles, one of many rejections to come in this business. If although a lot of times here it's more of a volunteer opportunity, <laughs> which is fine. But being excited about the project, I got a job on the set as a behind-the-scenes photographer. 
And what was really cool about this project is they were bringing in a couple celebrities, like flying them in. You know, um, Emilio Estevez? Yeah, and Martin Sheen. Well, their uncle, Joe, he was being flown in. Yeah. And there is another, another celebrity they f they're flying in for a cameo. He's going to play the doctor. And so then there was this role of the nurse. And they were like, you know who kind of looks like a nurse? And you know whose um, audition was okay? And you know who invested in the film? Brooke. We think Brooke should play the nurse. It'll be really cool because she'll get it, you know, to be in the scene with this celebrity. So I'm like, yes, I am not only being a photographer, which is important too, but I get to do a scene. So I start prepping on this character, the nurse. I figure out her background, where she's from, Nampa. I figure out <laughs> who her parents were, my parents. <laughs> That's a fast way to prepare us to use what you know. And I decide, you know, okay, She's kind of into the doctor. She's kind of got a crush on him, but she can't act on it because she's really strict religious. She's a thirsty Baptist. <laughs> so I got it all worked out. I have one line, one line in this. <laughs> anyway, the day comes, we're filming in this, you know, an independent doctor's office. That's our set. There's this big, long hallway. I come in to sit a, I'm acting, and I go to hair and makeup. And the celebrity is there, and I'm like, play it cool. Don't make eye contact. Don't look at them. Just pretend they don't exist. That's all I know to do. But pretty soon, it's time to do our scene. So me and Larry, we're, you know, acting. And then they say cut, and we kind of start a little chit-chat. You know, we share a little bit about acting, you know, boring stuff like that. We do another take, a little more chit-chat during cut, another take, chit-chat, back and forth. And finally, we take a break, and we've only got one part of the scene left. So we're about, we've got one, one thing left. And Larry turns to me, and he says, you know, um, I've got a hotel room at the Modern, and do you like wine? Uh-huh. And I really, I could really use some company tonight. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I forgot an important detail, which was that I took my wedding ring off earlier because the nurse is not married. I am married to that guy back there. Anyway, so no wedding ring. I say yes, but my intuition is like, hang on, let's, let's talk about this. And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? He seems lonely, yeah. Do you think um, we should help him? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, we're gonna help Larry. So I run during this break to the assistant, um, to the director, and I say, hey, so Larry just told me that he doesn't wanna be alone tonight. And I think we should bring a bunch of people <laughs> back to the modern because I think he, I'm not sure why he told me in particular, but I'm telling you, because I know that you know how to get the word out. And she's like, okay. So I'm like, I have, I have helped. <laughs> we go back 
you know, we, we do the remaining part of the scene. I say my line, get down from there. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Yeah, thank you. That's a wrap. I go down the long hallway, I'm getting all my stuff, and I'm like, I'm gonna go to the Modern and hang out with all these cool people. And the director comes down the hall and he's like, hey, anybody who wants to meet it back at the Modern and hang out, you know, Larry, um, has got some wine and we're all gonna hang out. Cool. And Larry comes up to me, kind of quietly, and he's like, so I don't know how he got that in mind. Every director I have known is a control freak, but that is not really what I had in mind. And I'm like, okay. So, and my intuition is like, huh, that's not what we thought. <laughs> and I'm like, so, so what did you have in mind? And he's like, well, I really just wanted to get to know you. I was like, uh-huh. My intuition is like, hmm. And then my intuition slammed the door and ran off. <laughs> and so I was like, look, and he says, so do you think you can still come? And I'm like, yeah, definitely, <laughs> yes. And we are walking down that long hall, but I'm not feeling the same way anymore. I know I'm missing something. And I'm starting to feel kind of hot, and he's still kind of talking and explaining and making sure I can be there, and I feel like people are looking at us. They're like, I'm, in my head, they're like, why is Larry talking to her? I don't know, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and so it's settled, I'm going there, and he leaves, and, and then I'm like, okay, I got, my intuition is gone, I gotta find somebody else. And so, I go to the producer and I say, so um, Larry said that he had a bottle of wine at his hotel and he wanted to get to know me. And she's, honey, he doesn't want to get to know you. He wants to get to know you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Go home to your husband. That's what she told me, and I did happily. So that, going home, is how I said no soup for you to Larry the Soup Nazi from Seinfeld. But the apology is, you know, I go home and sleep and wake up to a voicemail that came very in the wee hours from an unknown number, and it's, hi. This is Larry. Gee, I think I owe you an apology. I think I was maybe flirting with you. I'm so sorry. I found out later that you were married. I, I never would have done that if I'd known you were married. I'm so sorry. Give me a call if you want to talk about it. So I'm like, cool, we're saving that to show people <laughs> later. And by now, you know, my intuition's back, waking up, and I'm like, hey, so, you heard the voicemail from Larry. It sounds pretty sincere. It sounds really sweet. You think he's being, you know, genuine? Definitely. <laughs> so that is my story. Thank you.
Thank you, Brooke. I love the idea of your catchphrase becoming, get down from there. <laughs> I also love your sort of, that your intuition is this kind of vague hand puppet that kind of <laughs> floats over your shoulder like a guardian angel. It's very sweet. I just learned today that Brian Cranston was in Seinfeld. I didn't remember that. He was the, yes, he was the dentist who apparently inhaled his own gas. Sounds a little risky. Yeah. I don't know what I'd think if I went into a dentist's office and there was theremin music playing. Yeah, it sounds a little bit too close to maybe a dental drill. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do we have a slam in the slammer? Oh, tonight it's a mysterious white box. The spirits will now choose a member from the audience who has a five-minute story on, inspired by the theme, The Sixth Sense. Oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Okay. This is a family audience, so we keep that in mind. Oh, <laughs> this person has a lot of power with the spirits. We're going to actually meet her a little later this evening as well, because she is the director of our late night series. <laughs> it's Beth Norton. Straight from a straight from a planning and zoning hearing. Yeah, but I just put my name in. It's the sixth sense they were listening. Um, I'm not going to talk about the planning and zoning meeting, but I think things are going well on that front. If anybody's interested in the rezone, um, I okay. So so this is a story of um, I was in college and I. I loved Brett Denon in college. I don't know if you guys know who Brett Denon is. Uh, cheeky little redhead. Um, peaked in like, like grocery store music. You've probably heard his songs. I can't think of any right now. Um, if anybody knows any, any and they want to start singing to jog our memory. Sing it. <laughs> um, he's got this very like kind of, kind of voice. But anyways. Um, so my best friend in college and I were in love with Brett Denon and um, he was at the place in his career where he was sort of at like the top of the bottom, you know, like he was like playing little, he was like playing little, yeah, he was like playing little local venues. Um, I went to school in Chico, California and so he was playing, uh, playing in like Northern California a lot and uh, little college, you know, town venues, um, had a big hippie following and, um, and um, he got booked at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And this was a big deal for him in his career. And so being the groupies that we were, we drove, took the drive from Chico, California down to the Bay Area and um, in my, my friend's little gray uh, Chevrolet. And um, we, the, confer the, the conference, the concert's probably at like, you can tell my age now. I'm like, now it's now I think in conference terms. Um, <laughs> Um, but the, the concert is probably at 9 p.m. Um, we find a parking spot um, in a parking garage. I think it was in Chinatown. Um, 
and it was um, down a few levels. Um, we make our way to the Fillmore, which was you know, quite a walk from where we had parked. Um, we have a great time at the concert. Um, it's packed in there. It's a huge moment for uh, Brett Denon, and we were there to witness it. Um, and I'll never, I haven't been to the, back to the Fillmore since, but I'll just never forget it. I had these like beautiful purple drapes and this um, lovely chandelier. Um, and yeah, it was a beautiful moment. I think we had smoked a lot of pot and um, <laughs> probably had had a beer or two, but we took the long walk back to uh, where we had parked. And as we were, um, as we were headed into the parking garage, um, I noticed that there was a man standing kind of near the entrance, just standing there. And um, I, should, I should say a little bit about my friend Colleen. She is um, so fun, so the life of the party. She's one of those people that attracts a bunch of people to her, but she is oblivious of what is going on around her um, at all times. And she also just like walks at this breakneck speed that um, we would get into fights over because she has really long legs and I, could, I had a hard time ca catching up with her a lot. Um, and I was at, constantly out of breath whenever we would walk anywhere together. Um, so she, naturally she was in front, um, and so she you know, takes the turn really quickly and starts to head down the stairs, and I notice this guy, and something in me just like, as we go to turn down the stairs, something in me tells me to turn and look again. And so I turn and I just kind of glance back over my shoulder, and when I do that, I notice that he has turned and he's looked down the street, and I see down the street there is another man, um, and I see that man nod. And this just like peaks my little warning bells. And, um, and then I'm chasing after Colleen down the stairs. Um, we come out on maybe like the second or third floor down um, and we're, we're wandering through the parking garage. We're looking for our car, we can't find it. We quickly realize that it's on the next floor down. Um, and so we're crossing the parking garage to go to the other stairwell. And I see, just before we get into that stairwell, I see that man come down that stairwell um, behind us. And I think, okay, um, if they come out in the next floor, they're definitely following us. Although, it was pretty clear at that point. Um, but you know, like, as a woman, you're just like, maybe not. <laughs> like, maybe they have candy or something. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we take the stairs and we go down and, um, and we come out on, on the floor where our car is. Colleen is in front of me and um, you know, I'm, I'm now also walking very fast and, um, and he, sure enough, he comes, out, um, he comes out of the stairwell behind us. And um, he goes, excuse me, excuse me. And I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I reached in my purse. I normally carried pepper spray with me, but not that night, of course, <laughs> because I think probably because we had gone to the concert and you probably couldn't bring pepper spray in there. But in, like out of reflex, I just reached into my purse and turned around and um, he continued to advance and I put my other, I, I, I stuck my other hand out and I said, stop, do not approach. And Colleen, who has no idea what's going on this whole time, just starts running <laughs> away. And um, he puts his hands up in the air, and right after him, that, the other man that he nodded to comes out behind him, and he turns around and he goes, come on, come on, dude, let's go, and like 
takes him and they head on up up the stairs and then we both book it to the car we're like shaking we get in the car we lock the doors we scream and cry and then like try not to fall asleep on the way home and then drive out the city so that is my sixth sense story i've been trying to give her a poster all year so here you go it's only good for tonight but you can save it Put it on your wall. And now uh, Alejandro is going to play a Brett Denon number. Um, It's Wild wild Child. Yeah, do you remember it? Do you remember it now? You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) It was really close. Not bad. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let's thank you, Beth. And don't forget to sign our release over here. Thank you for your story. Yeah, I think that uh, I have a pretty strong intuition, a strong voice inside, uh, but so often I don't listen to it. Uh, One time I remember clearly in college, uh, we've had this campus-wide murder game where you got the card of the person you were supposed to kill, and they couldn't kill you in class, and uh, there were a couple other rules, and one of the ways you could defend yourself is you could spray them with water. And I left my dorm room and walked down the hall, and I noticed a guy in the hallway, and I thought, is that, is that my assassin? <laughs> and I stood at the drinking fountain in the hallway, and I just kind of had the water on, and I was looking at him, and he was looking at me, And he started moving closer and closer and closer, and I was kind of like, do I, do I splash him? And he kind of looked straight ahead and kept an even gait, and so my voice was saying, to use Brooks' method, hit him with water, hit him with water, hit him now, slap the water. And I just kind of leaned in and took this, cool sip as he tagged my back and killed me. Didn't listen. Happened when I was a little kid, too. I didn't learn my lesson. I remember playing with my cousin, and I was climbing in a slide, and she was right behind me, and my little voice said, she's going to pull your pants down. (laughs) That's what happened. Didn't listen. Did not listen. Our next featured storyteller is a person who really listens. Please welcome for the first time to Story Story Night, Mr. David Tuttle. I'm going to tell you uh, about the best psychic reading that I ever heard and changed my life and uh, changed my wife's life. We were in Sedona, Arizona on vacation and at uh, nice red rocks and everything and a psychic on every corner. But we found this uh, New Age Center, which is an old building. And I had seen a flyer in there that uh, on a Sunday night, they were going to have a meeting or a group meeting to uh, meet your relatives on the other side. So I thought, well, that'd be kind of fun to do on a Sunday night. And uh, that afternoon it rained, 
And there was a big puddle, and we, got, we went out, and we, uh, it was about 6 o'clock at night when it was starting. And we had to jump over a big puddle to get in the building, and uh, nobody else was there. Uh, <laughs> and finally, the psychic came down. It was a young woman, probably 28 years old, uh, maybe, and uh, she walked us, you know, she opened the door and let us in, and, and went upstairs to her, to her room, had three seats, and uh, we were waiting for other people to come, but nobody came, so she said she'd give us both uh, reading and, and read us both at the same time <clears throat> and just, uh, you know, have an hour reading for $20 a piece, which I couldn't imagine a better deal than that. And she, uh, and she started explaining that she was a, uh, an art teacher and she had a degree in art and she worked in an uh, art studio for a while and then she, all she saw was, was uh, over her forehead uh, when people came to see her the uh, states where they lived and things like that. And so <clears throat> she thought she would go back and be a psychic. Uh, and she also said she, that she had worked uh, with police departments and found dead people, but that depressed her. So she, uh, that's when she went to the art, and now she's back to being a psychic. So we felt very fortunate to have her. And the, she was bringing in, she had never done this before, uh, as, the, as the reading began, she was bringing in deceased relatives from my side on the left, deceased relatives from my wife's side on the right. She was looking up into the side, uh, and she was hearing from some, and she'd see some, and some would talk to her. And one uh, that came in was my father, and he was a conservative guy. He said, he's standing in the back, and he says, he said, I have many hats, and I said, I had, I had about a dozen hats because I pick up a hat everywhere, every time I go somewhere. And uh, he says, uh, oh, and he says, the psychic said, your dad, or she said, uh, do you play basketball? And I said, well, not really. I, uh, all that jumping to get rebounds is hard on your knees, so I gave that up. And, and she said, uh, well, your dad's over there, and he lifts, he's taking his arm way back and coming back like this. And that morning, uh, I had been swimming on my back in the uh, timeshare pool, and there was a uh, basketball and a and hoop on the side, and I was just making baskets that morning. So that was an important event for me because my father had crossed uh, 16 years prior to that, and uh, no communication except for a license plate uh, we had once seen uh, that did, he had an R35T uh, license plate because he uh, got a good job uh, promotion at that age, and that's the one he had throughout his entire life, or my life at home. But uh, this one, that uh, meant that he had actually, it's like having a, a, another, another uh, conversation with your father because when he died, I died a couple of days after Thanksgiving, and uh, it was, well, he was kind of a quiet guy, and I, you know, didn't, didn't say a lot, but at that point, I was only about five years into my uh, above uh, your normal religion uh, studies, so I thought, yeah, you know, what happened to him? But uh, when my mother crossed about 16 years later, by that time, I, I knew that she would be all right. And she came through also in the reading, and she said, the psychic said, uh, 
uh, is your mother very religious? And I said, yeah, she was a devout, devout Lutheran. And uh, he said, well, she's coming. And she's coming over with all these religious symbols, and she's got a tiara around her head. It says, I made it. So I, I knew she was okay. And I get, I get the similar things of, uh, you know, lights popping and out or something when I turn them on uh, and stuff like that, and a little chill when I, you know, when I was thinking about her or something. So I knew she was still around. But uh, <clears throat> then during the reading, uh, the psychic said, he, uh, you know, he said to mention Jim, which is my brother-in-law who died, uh, my sister's husband, and he, uh, he said that he crossed over my mother, and he had crossed over five years before uh, she did, and uh, then she said that uh, there's, there's a dog, a jumping dog, and uh, that was a Springer Spaniel they had, uh, which uh, was quite an unusual dog. It was the only one we ever knew. But uh, he said, the psychic said that the uh, dog met Jim when he crossed over. So this, this has kept on going <laughs> with all kinds of good messages. Uh, the, uh, the one I, uh, was very interesting was the psychic said, I see a, uh, an oyster. And uh, I couldn't think of anything. And my wife said, uh, Pearl. And I said, Pearl, oh yeah, my grandmother. She died before, before uh, I was born and before my sister was born. And uh, so I didn't have any uh, thing to relate to her. But a couple months before that, my sister and my wife were talking or, and going over some historical records in our family. And, and my wife said something about Pearl. And my, and my uh, sister said, who's Pearl? So that's why she came in, and she actually came in on my wife's side instead of my side. And I was thinking, oh, why didn't you come in on my side? You're my relative, you know. So, but uh, that didn't happen. Um, the, uh, let's see. Uh, the, uh, okay, oh, my, oh, my mother and uh, my, uh, oh, my, my wife had a bunch of people come through too. Her, her favorite aunt who died when she was a junior, and her mother. Uh, but the guy, her, her, aunt, her uncle, who was called Frederick, and I knew him, he was, seemed like a nice guy, but she, Jane said she always teased him. He always teased her uh, when she was a child. He bumped into our reading about three times. He has, he'd say, Frederick, the psychic says Frederick. And, uh, you know, Jane didn't want to talk to him. And, uh, and then he'd say Paul Frederick because that was the name of his son. And, he, you know, and Jane was just about ready, you know, quit. I want to talk to my other relatives, you know. And then he came in a third time. Same thing. But finally, Jane got her, her mother and her, her favorite aunt. And she was crying through the whole reading, and I just had a big smile on my face. But, uh, and that uh, ended that reading, I believe. And then the next night, we had another one. With uh, and this time it was a group reading with, uh, and only six people showed up uh, with that one. And uh, my grandmother showed up again, and she said the psychic said that uh, and this is a different psychic. Uh, she was a blonde woman, you know, nice, friendly person, but uh, young. Everybody's young in this uh, new age center. But the uh, she said. Uh, Oh, she said, Pearl said that uh, 
your grandmother's here, and she says uh, that uh, she's an angel. And I thought I was kind of skeptical skeptical about that because I figured that angels have wings, you know, and my grandmother couldn't be an angel. And, and she said, uh, "Well, didn't everybody always call me an angel?" And uh, that's why when we talked to my mother, uh, she would always say that Pearl was an angel. She, she was she had ten kids and. Uh, helped my mother when uh, she married my father and all this, so that, that was uh, nice. And then uh, some more relatives came through, and uh, but they said uh, I should go home. When we went home, to uh, I should clean out my toolbox, and I would find 12 screwdrivers. And I was, my, school, my toolbox was a mess. Uh, my father was a manager of the lumber company, and everything was very neat. And all his tools were straight, and I, uh, I had nothing to do with that. So, so I went home, and I counted on my screwdrivers, and I had 11 screwdrivers. And I thought, well, the psychic was wrong. And I go out in the garage, and there's a paint can in the corner of the garage, and that was the 12th screwdriver. So then I knew that uh, the psychic was right again. But uh, and we, we get uh, messages all the time. Uh, the sole license reference, uh, license plates, uh, n numbers and letters. Uh, it's uh, every time we go on vacation, the cars beside us have that same, you know, they have G, B, uh, T, you know, what, my, my mother, <coughs> father, and the next car is my, uh, my mother-in-law, and they're all running around together now. It's, uh, <laughs> So it's, uh, you're never alone out there, so it's, you just have to remember that uh, whenever you're out and about or anywhere that your uh, relatives are still there and you can uh, find them pretty easily if you're looking for them. That's it. And David actually has a, a book that he wrote that he will be out in the lobby during intermission. And if you're interested in that, you can meet up with him. It's called The Soul, Soul, Licensed, Soul Licensed Tips and Tales. And uh, interesting enough, a psychic told him to write it. So there we go. Uh, I had a tarot card reading done, uh, Viking tarot cards on Schneifelsness Peninsula, which uh, I learned has a lot of psychic energy. Uh, I was told that there was a rainbow bridge which connected Schneifelsness to Mount Shasta. I don't know if that would have been faster than Iceland Airlines, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't available to me. I remember two specific things from my card reading. One was that I should share my knowledge, and the other was that I am a sex addict. I, I, I'm still trying to, to figure that out, but in the meantime, uh, let's have another slammer. I've decided the spirit has moved me. I'm gonna throw it in there. I don't remember which card that was. Um, she did, though, uh, she asked me to shuffle the, the tarot cards, and my family is a pinnacle family, so we, we know how to shuffle. Uh, these cards were a little bigger than I was used to, but man, I shuffled those cards, and she looked aghast and was like, only an American. 
All right. Let's bring up Stacy Beam, I think it says. Stacy Beam. Stacy, are you, are you on your way being floated up with the theremin? I f forgot to mention that when your time is up, you will feel a spirit moving closer to you. Uh, you might even feel a weight coming down on your shoulder. I don't see Stacy. Is she? Stacy, are you moving up through the room? We have to consult the spirit world. What's happening with Stacy? Oh, okay. She's crossing over. She's coming over the rainbow bridge. All right. With great enthusiasm. I. I feel like there was a little powwow at her table there. <laughs> little consultation that happened. Uh, like, wait a minute. Stacy, did you write your name on this ticket? Oh, the spirit. The, an evil spirit wrote her name on this ticket. Our, we, I generally tell people, please only write your own name on it. I forgot to say that tonight. Um, and you're the one who suffers for that, sorry. Are we gonna? It's a sign. Okay. Are, you, are we going to be okay? I think so. All right, you got five minutes. Okay. okay. Please be kind. I was not prepared. Um, this dear friend of mine, Mary, and I went on a trip to Australia, and the ship we went on was a very old ship. And the very first night, we were both in our little bunks, and in the middle of the night, Mary jumps up and says, Stacy, 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 somebody just spooned me. And we're like, we're in the middle of the ocean on a ship. And I'm like, that's not possible. But of course, we're opening the doors. And, you know, it's like, unless somebody's this big and fit through a porthole, you know, and nothing. And she's like, I'm not joking. Seriously, somebody spooned me. So I'm like, it's been a long trip. You're tired. You know, go back to bed. Well, the next night, I'm in the bed and I start having this dream and I start smelling this very, interesting masculine smell it wakes me up and I'm like there's there's somebody in the room there's somebody in the room I'm like Mary 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 there's somebody in the room so we're wandering through the room and I'm like it's coming from right here I, I can feel this person there's somebody in this room nothing we can't find anybody nothing the next day we go down to the porter and we say we need to just check out of this room we don't know what's going on but there's something definitely happening and it's freaking us out the guy was not even the least bit surprised. No surprise whatsoever. And he's like, sorry, you know, it's completely sold out. There's no other rooms we can put you in. You're just going to have to make do. Well, the ship we were on, one half of it was a writer's convention, which is what Mary and I were on. The other half was what I called woo-woo people. <laughs> so I was talking to the porter again and said, um, uh, could you recommend somebody that's in the woo-woo side that we could talk to about what just happened? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Go over there, this, this gal that's over there, she talks to dead people. Yeah, so 
We work our way over to this gal, and unfortunately he was pointing to the wrong gal. We became friends with this wonderful gal from Australia who doesn't do dead people, but she said, the person you do need to talk to is over here. Her name is Debbie. She's sitting over at the bar. So Mary and I walk our way over there, and as we're walking along, Debbie, who turns and looks at us, she turns and says, well, what are you three doing here tonight? And we're like, what? And she's like, yeah. She's like, oh, wait. She goes, I'm new at this. You can't see him. <laughs> like, no, we can't. What? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Finn. And we're like, okay, wait. Backtrack. And she says, Sven, what's the story? And he's like, they're in my room. This is my job. I comfort women that are in my room. <laughs> so we're like, well, since we can't get another room, can you tell Swin to get a different room? Because we don't want to have anything to do with this. And she's like, well, Sven, you know, what's the deal? And he's like, well, they're lost. And she watches him, and he walks by the bar, and there's a girl sitting at the bar, and all of a sudden she's like, whoa! <laughs> Off he goes. So Mary and I are like, okay, this is freaky. We're lighting candles, we're putting salt across the doors, we're doing whatever we can do so Spin doesn't come back. But we kept thinking this was just this weird thing. Well, the next day we go and we talk to the front desk and he's like, oh yeah, this ship used to be da 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 da. And they changed the name and this man who was in this bunk actually was like the co-captain and he was very good looking, and apparently that you were in his room. So he didn't bother us again, but that was, I don't know it was exactly a sixth cent story, but I wasn't really prepared for that. But that's my story, that was kind of bizarre, so thank you. And uh, Sven would like to meet you over at the story booth right over here. Isn't that just like a guy to die and then inhabit a, a, a cabin and say it's his job to comfort women? I mean, wow. I knew we had a lot of work to do here. I just didn't realize we have so much to work to do in the afterlife as well. Oh, so much to do. So much to do. All right, I didn't tell anyone I was doing this tonight, so we'll see how it goes. I would like to acknowledge some people in our Story Story Night family who will be crossing over, uh, or uh, rather, <coughs> terming out of our board uh, of directors. So, can I get some people up here just so we can see your faces again? Uh, our former studio and sponsor coordinator, Gretchen Argedas. Our former treasurer, Terry Lawrence. And our departing president of the board, Carolyn Valaket. We just need to give them some acknowledgement here. Hi, come on up. Yes. Thank you so much. That four years went by real quick, didn't it? Yeah, it just snapped by. Now, as you know, because you have been on our board, we are not in rolling in riches like we used to be. So normally, we had lavish gifts that we would give our departing <laughs> board members. But like a what? Pet rock. A pet rock. Yes, we did give a pet rock away one year. 
We spared no expense. Um, tonight, however, we are only giving gifts of the spirit. So, and the applause of the audience. Thank you. Um, if one of you is moved and you just want to say a couple of things, there is a microphone right there on the floor. If nobody wants to say anything, they're all backing away. <laughs> yeah, do you want to, if you want to say just a little. Is this on? Yes. Hi, I'm Carolyn Valiquette. Um, I just want to say thank you, Jody, and the rest of the board that we've served with. We, we're, we're kind of the last three of the COVID era, so that was fun. Super fun. Um, it was great, a great experience. I recommend, I highly recommend it to anyone if you'd like to volunteer and get involved with the organization um, and or join the board. It's really a, an amazing experience. So, and Jody, you, you're a huge part of that. So, thank you. Oh, thank you. And uh, Gretchen, you can actually speak with out in the lobby during intermission because she is supporting story subscriptions out there. She has a fancy QR code that will link you in, and so you can talk with her during intermission and she'll get you started on that. Or if you want to get a head start yourself, that uh, text story sub to 44321 will take you there as well. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm going to miss you, but you'll still be here sometimes. All right. I, oh, oh, oh. I am getting a message from an entity. It's our season sponsor, the Shandro Group. And uh, Alejandro, this is usually where I ask our guest musicians if they have anything appropriate that goes with insurance. So, here we go. I'll let you start, yeah. The Chandra Group knows there is a difference between offering your employees insurance and benefits. Just one benefit. From our first conversation to day-to-day -day benefits management, we use data-driven and culture-focused methods for designing your benefits portfolio. We know no other... <laughs> we know no other program in a business can impact employees' financial, emotional, and physical well-being more than employee benefits. Thank you to... Thank you to the Shando Group. <laughs> All right. We're going to take about a 10-minute break before our next act. You can visit with David in the lobby. You can visit with Gretchen in the lobby. And here on the stage, Alejandro is going to move to some other instruments that he's brought with him. I believe the song bowl and the didgeridoo, maybe some more theremin. So we'll see you in about 10 minutes. Refresh your drinks, and we'll be back for more stories. Welcome back to The Sixth Sense. I hope you all are attuning. 
Before we left, we got to say goodbye to some board members who are passing on. Uh, can I get the current board members just to come up here for a moment so we can celebrate them and see those faces? We have Nathan Pittman coming up. We have Darcy, maybe Kelly, or Carrie Bruce is coming up. Ruth Schwartz, yes. And uh, Shannon, if you're here. Let's just see these new faces that are carrying us forward. Uh, this isn't in my notes to say this yet, but uh, this show is our 13th birthday tonight. Our 13th birthday. Talk more about that a little later. Shannon, are you still coming in? Oh, here she is. All right, perfect. <laughs> moving through the room. And our incoming, oh, she gets hugs on her way up, yes. So these are the people behind the scenes who are moving us forward. And um, some of them have been with us a little longer. Uh, Darcy was just at it and she's still out in the hallway. No, here she is. Come up here, Darcy. Just at it. And um, Nathan is our new secretary. Um, Carrie is our new treasurer. And Ruth, who has been with us as a story slammer, a slammer of the year, a featured storyteller, is our incoming president. Do you just want to say a quick hello to people? Hello. Now, see, I knew that was going to be quick because she didn't even take the microphone out of my hand. All right, so applause for our incoming. Moving on. Thank you very much. Oh, our featured storytellers are so well behaved. They're already up here on stage. Very good. Um, not with us tonight is Courtney Maxwell Shea, who had a last minute change. And now we're gonna start the show with another slammer. We have uh, lots, of, lots of names here to choose from. So I wanna get to as many of those as we can fit in tonight. Alejandro, did you want to say anything about the song bowl or the didgeridoo that you were playing during the break? Oh, the Tibetan singing bowl and the didgeridoo, they're also instruments that I play. I, I don't claim to be a musician, so to speak. And my brother's a professional classical guitarist, so he'll say that I'm not really a musician. That does make it harder, yeah. It, it is more challenging. It is more challenging. But I do play some very odd instruments. So there's the theremin, of course. I have a didgeridoo and a Tibetan singing bowl. I also have a a crackle box, which is very rare, but I couldn't find that today. So maybe another time, another time. So yeah, I like to just create sound sculptures and I, I just enjoy creating uh, music that people find not only enjoyable, but entertaining. <laughs> Great, and Alejandro has been a storyteller with us both at Story Story Night and also Story Story Late Night. Thank you. All right, and um, you know what, I think this is a story subscriber. I feel like I recognize this name. So accompanying uh, this person on the theremin uh, next to our microphone is Cynthia Wallace. Whoa. And I've seen this name come across. I think the middle, isn't the middle name Yee? Cynthia Yee Wallace? I see that's so much more fun to say. Cynthia Yee Wallace. It's kind of like, it's got its own like celebration right in the middle. 
All right, five minutes to share a story inspired by, is this your first time sharing a story? Wow, that's very exciting. All right, here you go. Okay, so I'm fortunate enough that I have a bunch of ride or die girlfriends. One ride or die girlfriend in particular is named Jennifer Shindley. Um, we have been friends since college. Um, everything she possesses is what I always wanted. She's very calm. She thinks before she speaks. She's very introverted. She's a very deliberate and strategic. I have big energy and I'm much more expressive. So um, I'm always the booker planner and Jen is always the ride or die that comes with me. For example, um, I had been smoking um, to take the bar because I was very stressed about that. And she's like, oh, um, there's an extra race if you want to run Dry Creek. And I was not a runner. I'm hardly a walker. But I was like, how hard can it be, Dry Creek? It sounds easy. Well, it's up a hill. It's like we were so last that the um, four-wheeler was going back and forth waiting for us to like get going. And I finally said to her after about a fourth of the mile in, I'm like, for the sake of our friendship, leave me. You must leave me. She finished in the middle. Um, so in 2010, her dad died, and I had been watching a lot of Long Island Medium. And so I was like, oh, Jen, I found this psychic medium. She lives in a condo by the mall. Um, it's like $125, but if we go, you can talk to your dad. My grandma's passed. Let's go. She's like, okay. So we go, and we walk in, and there she has like these bowls, and there's incense, and she's smoking, which no judgment, but blowing it on us, which was our first red flag. Um, <laughs> And we sit down on her couch and she's like, and Jen's there to talk to her dad. I'm there to talk to my grandma if she shows up. Um, and she says, okay, you're here to see a long lost um, young woman. We're like, no. She's like, okay, you're here to see a young male that you have unfinished business with. We're like, no. She's like, okay, does someone that you know wear a hat? And I was like, well, my grandma used to wear a scarf. She's like, your grandma, your grandma is here. And then I'm like, okay. Um, so long story short, she keeps asking these questions and um, she doesn't, she's not a real psychic or a psychic medium. And we didn't end up talking to her dad or my grandma. And I was laughing so hard that I was chewing on my latte cup and we left. We paid our $125, which I think she gave us like a 10% discount because we looked so indignant. Um, and so fast forward three weeks later, I find another psychic medium who's over in this shamanic healing center by the mall. And I'm like, Jen, Jen, you got to go. You got to go. This time it's totally free. We'll sit in the back. It's donation only. If it doesn't work out, we'll just walk out. She's like, oh, okay. So she goes with me and there's five people in the room. Um, there's no sitting in the back. It's in a circle on these couches. <laughs> But it ended up being actually a very genuine reading by a woman named Krista Lyon who owns Nomadic Spiritual Healing and she, Jen had a wonderful reading from her husband, or from her, from her dad. Um, I connected with my grandmother. So um, the moral of the story is, is my intuition and my sixth sense isn't always the best. It, I'm a little bit impulsive in picking my um, events, but my sixth sense have always been very good about picking my ride or dies through and including my beautiful husband. So that's when I can rely on it. So that's my story. Thank you, and Cynthia. Uh, the Long Island medium, oh, oh. Uh, I lived in Baybridge, Brooklyn, and we had a neighbor who had a psychic who 
and I don't know if I have all the details right, they had some kind of metal passport um, because the, the CIA and the FBI used them and their passport was, didn't require any visas. This doesn't sound real, does it? <laughs> I never saw the metal passport. And to be honest, and also wouldn't that set off the uh, security alarm every time you walk through? That doesn't sound right. Anyway, I remember she was on some, maybe it was a Long Island medium. Uh, she was on some psychic show, and one of the things they had to do is match the dog owner with their dog. And, <laughs> and she got it wrong. And her friends were asking her like, geez, why, why did you get that wrong? And she's like, the spirits don't care whose dog belongs to who. <laughs> so, but living in Brooklyn, you know, there's a lot more um, visibility for psychics than there is in Boise, Idaho. The psychics here are very quiet and polite. Uh, in Brooklyn, they are right there on the sidewalk, and some of them have really heavy mascara, very, like, big makeup, and they, they sit in a window with a drapey curtain, and they look out at you as you're walking down the sidewalk. And what always kind of made me jump is they'd, I'd be walking, and just out of the corner of my eye, see them jump up! And they would, like, run to their door, and they would gesture to me, like, someone needs to talk to you. And they'd be, like, waving, waving me in. And you know what? I never did go in. I kind of, I think that time I was listening to the inner voice. I was like, no, do not go. Do not go in there. Do not go in there. All right, we've reached our final featured storyteller. And, you know, I started coming to Story Story Night just as an audience member back in, in 2014. And this person was one of the volunteers who was almost at every Story Story Night show through 2015. I remember in 2016 when we moved to Jump, he was here. But this is his first time to the Story Story Night microphone as a featured storyteller. Please welcome Mike Kreiss. All right, so let's uh, deal with the elephant in the room first, which is me, <laughs> on two levels. One, you're probably asking, why is that guy wearing such a really tight shirt? Um, this actually was an outfit I was wearing during one of my stories back in 2010, so I figured I should bring it back. Um, the other part of the elephant in the room is, is again, me. I am uh, six foot five, 240 pounds. And that's uh, so the reason I'm sitting here. Jody thought that I might, might scare people in the front if I was actually standing up. <laughs> um, just kidding, Jody. So my story really is about intuition and about um, the amalgamation and collection of experiences. Oh my gosh, this thing's... <laughs> the psychic thing is disturbed. It's okay. Anyway, so my height, I'm big. And I'm really tall. <laughs> and this actually plays into it because I've always been tall. Um, I grew up here in Idaho. And um, one of the things that happens when you're my size growing up is you start taking your physical safety for granted. Um, you kind of think at points you're invincible. And that happened to me until 2013, September of 2013, when I found myself in a bar in Sumter, Oregon, 
as I'm walking around, going to a group of friends, saying, we need to leave now. But to kind of backtrack, I have to start back with um, knowing that I never would have said that if it wasn't for my experience in Botswana in 2010. So three years earlier, earlier I was in the Peace Corps, um, hence the jacket. I was serving in Botswana, which is in southern Africa, and I was doing public health work, and I was specifically working with orphans and vulnerable children, and working in a mm, kind of like a community center slash boys and girls club. And on March 10th of 2010, I'm kind of wrapping up my day, and it's about 5.30 at night. Okay, I think we're good. It's about 5.30 at night, and it's March, so it's um, in the southern hemisphere, we're going from basically fall into winter, and so it's dusk. And this is the same time I would leave every single night um, from the center where I would go. And I'm walking out of the main entrance of this organization that's um, completely covered by uh, chain link fence. And I have about a half dozen kids strewn on my back, on my shoulders, I'm carrying some, some are wrapped around my leg, and I'm trying to navigate getting out of this place. My house is about a half mile down the road from the center where I work. And it's not really that unusual to see a whole bunch of people, men, women, children, walking along the streets. There's not a lot of public transit. There's not a lot of cars going through this area in Botswana where I live. And so I make my way home. And like I said, it's dusk. So as I'm heading down the main highway, which goes in and out of Francistown, which is the city in which I lived, um, I head down this, um, this main private drive, which is the street where I lived. And in there, it's kind of a cul-de-sac with about 10 different houses, or what we called compounds. And these are really compounds, and I'll explain that in a second. So I get going, and I'm about halfway home, walking down the street, and there's a gentleman to my side walking next to me. And he just comes up, and he taps me, and he says, hey, man, do you live in that house over there? And my Peace Corps training kicked in, and I realized that we don't really tell people where we live. Um, as a foreigner in this land, you basically kind of just shrug it off. And what my common response was, I would wave my hand in the air and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I live over there. He ends up walking forward and kind of passes me. I'm just enjoying the evening. I'm about halfway home. Beautiful African summer night in the bush. I go another 20 yards and I come across the same gentleman who just asked me where I lived. And he's looking down at his flip phone. And um, I just keep walking and he's kind of walking in stride with me. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I have this major pain, this burning sensation in my left eye. And it turns out that I didn't realize at the time, because all I can feel is my eye is pulsating and is basically um, shut and tearing. And what happened is the gentleman who was standing next to me had punched me in the face. And I didn't realize it. And, and I probably didn't realize it either because he was about a foot shorter than me. And normally, I'm not in a position where I'm too concerned about my safety. But what he did was, and what he intended to do was basically blind me in both of my eyes. And he meant to hit me on the bridge of my nose and blind me in both eyes. But because of the height difference, he only hit me in the left eye. But I'm blinded at this point. And the other thing that he did is when he came up, he swung his arm up and hit me. He opened up his fist, and inside his fist was a very fine sand and silt mixed with cayenne pepper. And so all of a sudden, I can't see a damn thing. This eye is completely glued shut. In the moment, what I'm thinking is, I, this is that flight or flight moment. 
and what am I going to do? Because it wasn't just this guy. He had nine other friends with him. And as I'm walking down this road to get to my house, uh, there is uh, a cement wall behind me. And it's a seven-foot-high cement wall made of cinder block cement. And on the top is um, electric fence covered in razor wire. And then there's broken glass embedded in the top of the wall to prevent people from scaling these walls. This is how all the compounds along my street are. This is how all the compounds in southern Africa are, whether you go to Zimbabwe, South Africa, Botswana. So all the houses are like this. And so this gentleman is in the middle of the road, and his friends come running up. And they encircle me in a half circle. And I back myself up to the wall. And the first thing I do is I swing my backpack over my shoulder as if to feel if I have something in there. But I had actually taken about everything that I had normally in my backpack out that day and put a soccer ball in there instead. Because I was playing with kids. <laughs> Upon realizing this, I put the backpack back on. Because I realize it's going to be a hindrance. If I have to run, I need it tight to my body. So I can't see out of one of my eyes. And there are 10 men with knives and rocks surrounding me. And the first thing I do is I lunge at them. And almost in a uniform fashion, they pulsate back about two feet. And then they start coming back in again. And I step back, and I feel for the wall behind me. And I'm scanning with one eye and looking to see if I can see everybody that no one has flanked me. So I lunge for a second time, and they all pulsate back another two feet. And then they come back in closer. All of a sudden, I turn my head, and to my left, I can see two headlights coming towards me down the road. And so I lunge for a third time. And as I lunge, I actually start running towards the car that I see. And my hands are up high in front of me, just like I am trying to flag down this car. When I reach the car, I slam my hands down onto the front cover of the car. And I see the window of the, car, of the driver's side come down, and I yell, they're trying to kill me. At the moment, the driver yells out to me, get in. I make my way to the passenger side. And as soon as I get in, I try to close the door. And before the door is even shut, my new hero is speeding off, trying to run down the assailants. We get to a vacant lot right next to the wall where I was pinned up against. Now, this vacant lot is a corner lot, and it's dark at this point. And it's a vacant lot that is filled with garbage and dirt mounds and old cement and cactus. It's been vacant for years. And because it's dark, all 10 assailants hide into this empty lot, even with the headlights of the car in front of them, and we can't find them. It's like they vanished. So I hear the swearing of my friend, my hero, next to me in some foreign language I don't understand. And then he turns to me and says, where do you need to go, my friend? And I say, I have a, um, a Zimbabwean friend who lives two blocks from here. Please take me to their house. So he does a three-point turn and immediately zips off and goes down the street and gets to my friend's house, which is also covered in razor wire. We get to the junction box, and it buzzes my friends. And they say, yes. And, he, and my new hero says, I have your friend Mike here. He needs your help. They open the gate, and we drive through. And as soon as we get to the front door, I peel open the front door, and I fall out of the passenger side. 
and I'm crawling on my hands and knees, my eye is burning. In fact, I don't even know if I have an eye at this point. I thought maybe it had actually been dislodged, destroyed. I can't see out of it. It's completely sealed shut. My friends help me into their house, and they take me into their bathroom, and immediately I go to the bathtub and I put my head under the faucet, and for the next 10 minutes, I turn on high and I'm trying to rinse out anything and everything that is in my eye. For the next year, I went to therapy, surprise. And what's really funny is I wasn't angry, I wasn't scared, I was really pissed at myself. I was angry that I didn't see the signs. I was angry that I didn't have any intuition to warn me that this could have happened. Our Peace Corps training taught us to be aware of our surroundings, and I took it for granted. So I come back, I do three more years in the Peace Corps in Botswana, and I come back to Idaho in June of 2013. Three months later, I am driving to Sumter, Oregon with some friends for a wedding. Now, Sumter, Oregon, if you don't know, is two hours roughly outside of Baker City, the small mountain town. It has a population of about 200 people. I like to think of it as um, the Oregon version of Idaho City. <laughs> so we drive into town, myself and my two friends, and it's about five o'clock. Now, Sumter is really a small town, and there's basically one thoroughfare that cuts through the entire town. There's one hotel at this time and one restaurant slash bar, and it actually was called a saloon. And so as we're waiting for the rest of the wedding party for the same-sex wedding that we're attending in Sumter, Oregon, um, as we're waiting our hotel, get everything set up, around 6 o'clock or so, we end up all crossing the street to go get some dinner at this bar. And when we walk in, the first thing you see is a pool table, and there's a couple gentlemen playing pool. Then in the center of this establishment, there is a, a U-shaped bar where there's about 10 patrons. And on the far right-hand side of the establishment, there's a bunch of dining tables and chairs. Most of the wedding party goes to the dining area and sits. I go straight to the bar. I'm not an alcoholic, I swear. I sit at the bar for the next hour, listening. And when that hour is done, after the conversations that I heard, and after the gentleman sitting at the very end of the bar gets up and exits the bar, and I see the door shut behind him, I get up from where I'm seated, and I walk around to where my friends and the rest of the wedding party are, and I say to them, we need to leave now. I exit the bar, and in moments, I see everybody piling out, locals included, and I didn't say this very loud. As I walk outside of the bar, I walk across the highway, again, that one main strip that goes through the city, and I stand in the middle of the highway, and I look to my right, and about a half mile down the road, I can see the brake lights of a pickup truck. And then I can see that pickup truck do a three-quarter turn, three-point turn, and then its headlights are now facing me and I turn to everybody that's in my vicinity, and I say, get out of the road, get out of the way. That truck comes down the highway going 50, 55, 60, 65 miles an hour, veers off the road and slams into the bar. As soon as all the timbers and the roofing encapsulate the cab of this truck, I run over and I check on the driver. And I reach in at the driver's side and I put my hand on his shoulder and I say, are you okay? 
He's got blood on his forehead and he's completely disoriented. At that moment, the owner of the bar rushes out of the bar and pushes me out of the way. And he reaches in through the cab and he grabs the gentleman who's driving. And he says, what the hell are you doing? What were you thinking? What was he doing? Exactly what he said he was gonna do when he was sitting at the bar. And when I heard him say, I'm going to run my truck into this car, into this bar, and kill every last one of them. So in my daily life, I'm an imposter syndrome coach and a workplace culture consultant. And a lot of my work with my clients revolves around dealing with emotions and processing emotions and experiences and experiencing in that moment and reflecting on them and processing them so that we can use them in our intuition for later experiences. And I had to use my intuition that night in Sumter, Oregon. I had to listen to that voice in my head that said, hey Mike, it's 2013. Hey Mike, you're traveling to Sumter, Oregon, this small town in Eastern Oregon, to attend a same-sex wedding. Hey Mike, are you listening to the conversations happening at the end of the bar? Is there anything funny that stands out about what you're hearing? Hey Mike, do you remember back in 2010 in Botswana what happened to you? And how vulnerable you felt? And how you felt afterwards? Hey Mike, thank you. Mike, we have this poster for you. It is the same size as all the others. It just, <laughs> just looks, looks a little different next to you for some reason. All right, it is our 13th birthday, and often at this show, which is the last show of our flagship season, actually, is Jessica Holmes, are you here tonight, Jessica? There, she's back there, Jessica Holmes. So Jessica is one of the founders and the original host of Story Story Night for over six years and has still doing our copywriting. Thank you, Jessica. Can you believe it? We're, we're a teenager. We got braces, we got pimples, we got armpit hair, awkward, mics. awkward microphones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so normally at this show we have had a thing where the screen comes down and people text to give and the bar goes up and this year we've uh, not done that obviously but what we are doing is focusing that energy on Idaho Gives which is May 1st through May 4th. So if you go to IdahoGives.org and search for Story Story, uh, Story Story Night you will find us and we have different categories celebrating our, our 13 years and so we'd appreciate that support if you're able to give that to us. Um, if you wanna just do a one-time gift, you can also just text story story to 44321. And um, tonight we uh, challenged uh, our friend here, Alejandro, to uh, play us happy birthday on the theremin. <laughs> well, wait and see. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Okay, let me, let me, let me. Where's G? Yeah. Yeah, you know the song. Happy birthday. 
Okay, hang with me. Hold, hold, hold. Here we go. So this is how they sang it at the bar in Sumter. <laughs> I had G yesterday. Oh, he's looking for the G. Oh, that's the late night show. Sorry. <laughs> okay, here we go. Just let me warm up for a second. It's close. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> That's rough. Happy birthday in the Dorian key, I think. Dorian mode. <laughs> this is probably why we don't hear them with the Boise Philharmonic. Uh, it takes a lot it of takes work. A lot of, yeah, yeah. Well, we saw I was drifting into late night mode there. I'm going to ask Beth Norton to come back up because tonight on your tables, if you've seen this card, well, this side was written by Jessica Holmes, who you just met or, or meet again. This side was done by our graphic designer, Julia Green. And... Uh, and this person right here, I'll give you this one, is responsible for the themes that you see. So Beth, tell us a little bit about what we have coming up uh, for summer, for late night. A real fun set, if you look at the postcards in front of you, for Story Story Late Night, um, starting in June. The American Dreams with the S falling off and a house burning to the ground. <laughs> and, uh, and an overloaded sheep with Bitcoin on their iPhone. <laughs> so that's what the summer is going to be like. Um, <laughs> this is the bougiest our sheep has ever looked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she has classed it up with some yeah, style. Yeah. Um, the theme for June is marriage um, as one of the classic American dreams. Um, we're looking for stories of... Um, obviously the failures of the American dreams, but maybe some of the surprise successes. We just want the nuance, you know, that, I don't know, I like the dark stuff. So this is my pitch for you to come and tell your story about marriage. Although in June, we do focus on the LGBTQIA community. So particularly um, if you have embarked on the journey of marriage or whatever that means for you and you are from that community, we would love to hear from you. Um, I am excited to say that we have actually already, I have already booked our first storyteller oh, for cool. that. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be Lori Vallow. Um, <laughs> she's... We're gonna zoom her in. <laughs> um, she's got a good story. Wow, did you meet her at the zoning meetings tonight? <laughs> um, and I don't have any other awful jokes about the other, but um, <laughs> July is gonna be independence. We are working on Will Smith for that and... Um, Gird your loins. And then August will be ownership, so. Um, if you would like to tell a story, I would love to hear from you. I think there's information on here and, and how to do that. Or just um, come out and watch. It's going to be at the um, Women's Ward of the Old Penitentiary, which is also fitting for the theme of 
all of these things, but especially marriage. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Beth. And tickets to that show actually just went live at 8 o'clock. So I actually, it sent me an email even saying, hey, congratulations, your show is available. All right, let's get back to a slammer. Um, yeah, and if you were a couple that was married in Sumter, Oregon, uh, <laughs> then Mike is your friend, that would be an interesting story. <laughs> Here we go. I, for a second, I thought you were playing the Here Comes the Bride uh, for the marriage theme. But I was about to, but... I, well, I got it. I, I, I got the intention. All right, sir. All right, let me, I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to feel the name. Okay, I got it. Number 658731. All right. I don't think this person has been at our mic in a while, at least. If maybe the first time, Mike Adams. Here he comes. Our interpreters are passing on the torch here. Hey, Mike. Is this your is this your first time sharing a story here? All right, welcome. You got five minutes for the sixth sense. Well, I used to drive cab out here in other places, so if it's weird, no. Uh, all I know is, is one night, I was the bars were starting to close, so everybody goes to the local strip club, and so therefore you got a whole bunch of drunk soldiers and other people having fun, enjoying themselves. Well, one night I was leaving the strip club and looked across the street, and there's this, this guy by himself. I just said, something weird about this. Is this isn't wrong. Because normally when, the, when soldiers go to a strip club or any kind of club, they only go in groups of four or five or six or so. So they're all buddy-buddy, getting drunk, and making sure they get home safe and such. And uh, I said, something, like I said, something's odd about this. So I said, hey, guy, you need a cab? And he says, yeah, I need a cab. So we headed back to post. I, I used to go and post a lot just because, hey, I was a soldier myself at times, so. And um, he said, hey, let's stop at McDonald's. Okay. McDonald's is kind of on the way, so it's one of those places people like to go to eat. And, you know, hopefully that's what they're there to eat, not get drugs or something like that, which maybe whenever in a while I'm going to go there. McDonald's has got some strange habits. <laughs> at least we didn't, now that's another story. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I, we went to the drive-thru, and as we were leaving the drive-thru, he turns to me and says, where's Marvy at? Where's Marvy at? Okay, sir, there's just me and you in this cab. Something tells me that something's weird here. So I said, okay, sir, well, well there's only me. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So we went to back to main gate, and we were polite to the MTs, which is a good thing to do. A lot of times, infantry soldiers are... Beep, 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 MP, beep, beep, MPs. Well, he, everybody was polite. Well, I got him back to his barracks and you know, let him go inside and go upstairs. And I said, you know, like I said, I need to talk to, the, I need to, talk to CQ. CQ is charger quarters. They're the guys that do sit at the front ga- desk and make sure everybody, when they get back, is, you know, they're okay, that they pay their tab, cab fares and such. 
I said, who's Marvy? Oh, Marvin. Well, I didn't realize until afterwards that these, this unit just got back from deployment. And uh, that Marvin, AKA was his battle buddy. He was, uh, he'd uh, gotten killed in Iraq. And he was kind of, I said, you know, this sounds, this, and I you know, got him back, and then I, as I leave, and I said to myself, this seems familiar, so I decided to do some things. But that's, you know, mostly just, just making sure little shit is get back to post. <laughs> yeah, well, on that note. Well, have a good one. Thank you, Mike. And let's get that uh, got double duty going on. They're signing the release, and we're also picking another slammer. When I first came to, to Boise from New York, there was a new service that was starting here that a lot of Boiseans didn't know about or what it was uh, called Uber. And at first, uh, the rides were all free because Uber didn't have a license to operate in, in Boise. And I thought, gosh, this looks like picking money off trees. I'll drive Uber for a little while. And that, you know, I did learn to have, thank you, Susan. I did learn to have a little bit of an intuition there because one woman I picked up, uh, she asked, can we stop at Maverick on the way? And I was like, yeah, I don't care. It's all, you know, it's free. So I get paid by the meter and you can do whatever you want. She goes into Maverick. She's in there for like five minutes. She did not come out the same woman. She was like sliding around in her chair. She asked if I, if she could kiss me. Uh, eventually, we she kind of passed out in the in, in the chair, and we had passed a house in this neighborhood off of uh, Five Mile, and she'd kind of like and I was like, oh, is this where you? And she's like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I thought, I think that's the well. Then she and. Uh, now I'm going to jail because I ended up taking her phone and looking for contacts and then eventually decided, you know what, I think that was the house. And so I pulled up to the house, I knocked on the door and I said, are you expecting a visitor? And she was like, is she drunk? <laughs> Speaking of drunk people, Mary Frances. That wasn't nice of me. I, I have no knowledge about. I have no knowledge about how much Mary has had tonight, or in the past, or at any other time. But uh, she has been out of town a lot this season. And this might be the only show she's made it to, and she's been a Slammer of the Year contestant. And now we get to hear her tonight for her Sixth Sense story. It happened. Welcome, Mary. All right. So. I'm not six foot five, so the microphone, even if it keeps falling, it'll still hear me, Mike. <laughs> so for Beth, marriage. <laughs> so can I have two extra minutes, Jody? Because I really want to give a plug uh, for this event. Yeah. Well, so a be and, and oh yeah, right. Well, story, story in itself. So Story Story in itself is one of the best venues for individuals to feel a lot of things. Companionship, creativity, and support. 
And I remember one night, um, a name was called, and it was because a nine-year-old son had put his mother's name in. And she absolutely refused, unlike Stacy Beam. <laughs> and so the, Jody had the nine-year-old boy come up, and precious little guy, had nothing to do with the theme, and who cared? He's like, well, one time in third grade. <laughs> and Jody was so gracious, and the audience was so supportive. And that's when I realized that, according to me, Life for Mary, this is one of my homes in terms of expression and acceptance and creativity. So I really want to give a big hand to Jody and everyone else that makes this happen. And, and I kind of can't look at Jody the same because he said I travel for my real job and I haven't been able to come to some of the other ones. But the last time I saw this guy, oh my God, he had this long hair. And it was down to here, and I'm like, sexy beast. <laughs> right? Right? Am I wrong? Come on. And even with the haircut, and he did cabaret, he's still sexy as shit. <laughs> right? He is. And he do um, devotes so much time to this, and I have to say something else, so thanks for the extra two minutes. Yeah, baby. So what this dance means, he'll dance more if you stand up and commit to be an annual prescribed and get your tickets every year. Jody, what's up? You wanna dance for everybody that's gonna do it, right? So I have to confess, that uh, I am not a ticket owner for every year. Jody, what's it called? Story subscriber. Okay, story subscriber. That's what we want to hear tonight for next year because I am guilty and I am going to be a story um, subscriber. Yeah. Addict. A story, story addict. And make sure and bring more people and bring more friends because. In my real world, when I tell people about this in Meridian or in Nampa or even in, Boy they're what? Like, why don't you know about Story Story? And your bonus two minutes are over. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Except for Beth Mowich. So come this summer to the wedding, right? Because, oh my God, I've been married twice. So you don't want me on stage for that. So, okay, now I'm gonna confess, um, I, am, I am a woo-woo, uh, as my friend Stacy said, and I, I actually, honest to gosh, um, have been blessed with uh, being, being connected to the other side, and I am guilty of the fact that um, I really am more comfortable living on the other side, and those of you in the audience, first of all, I wanna say this, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that 98% 98, 98 of you out there, nine out of 10 of us, have been in a horrible situation. And it was those on the other side that got us out of it. And you don't know how, you don't know why, you can't explain it, but you know what, you know what. The other is that 
animals on the other side actually do greet us first. They actually make a line before human being, you can get to the spirits that you recognize as human beings. The animal, fish, cats, dogs, cow, whatever, they're there first, right? Okay, so we, we connect on that. The third thing is that the ability to connect, the ability to believe, the ability to be guided by messages, license plate numbers, or what have you, it's just is, is common is creating a muscle like a bicep. You just have to work at it and you have to believe at it. So I want everybody to know tonight how the importance of this sixth sense is because we all have it and it's not something that's estranged. It's just something that you really just, if you want and if you choose to believe in and that's the bottom line. And I have so many great stories to tell you because I'm kind of like the Teresa from New Jersey. When spirit, when spirit is strong enough and it wants to speak, it does, and it won't leave you, and that's, that's the case. So I do want to tell you a story because this is the most impactful story for me. Okay, does my five minutes start now? <laughs> because for me, for, for me, when it comes to strangers and I say, hey, can I talk to you, you know, on the side because I have some messages and it's just like this. This is what I get like, oh, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. So this is what happened personally. When I moved here, I did not know a single person. I had a one-year-old, one-and-a-half and a two-and-a-half-year-old. So I wanted a daycare that was a family-oriented situation. Unfortunately, my husband, they were really good friends now at the time, went AOL for 10 years. And so this family literally raised my children and me, quite frankly. They were of a different religion. Who cares? So let's just fast forward. And the father uh, succumbed to a motorcycle wreck. He was a teacher at Sawtooth Middle School. I was actually in my home. I heard it all. I heard the, the sirens. And then the next day, I went out and saw all the markings. And so in my Catholic way, I literally built a cross, put pictures of him, drilled a fake apple, and put it out there. Leave it at that. So I'm going to say his name, because I talked to him tonight. And he said, go ahead and say my name. So his name is David Campbell. So David Campbell keeps coming to me in dreams. I can't tell his wife about it, because I'll just say the religion has three letters in it, and those don't like the Catholics, but I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm a spiritual person, I'm not a religious person. So he's coming to me in my dreams, he's about 15 years old, he's telling me about his whole life on the other side, he's fine, take care of my kids and all of this, and I can't tell his wife, I can't tell his wife, I can't tell his wife, I can't tell his wife. Two weeks go by, I go to their house, again, it was their daycare, so I always knocked, it's Mary, I'm coming in because it was always their home. I literally walked down the hall where there used to be the things for the, the cubbies. Now, I'm not responding to David. I've not told his wife, Becky, about him because I'm thinking, it'll ruin our friendship. She's never going to believe me. They're, the fam they're my family. I walked down the hall. Slam into him. 
turn around. There's no way I'm going to tell her this. And I can cry here tonight. Like, no way. I mean, I've heard everything. This has gone on for me since fourth grade. I've never walked into a spirit. She comes around. How you doing? I'm going fine, fine, fine. Yeah, well, right. Da, 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 da. Yep, yep. I'm crying. I'm crying. I leave. Talk to Dave. What do you want me to do? She's. She, I, I'll, I'll lose everything. I'll lose my whole this family. So I finally tell her, "Go over. Can I talk to you?" Guess what she says? Oh my gosh. Somebody believes me when I say I feel him. Somebody believes me when I say I keep cleaning his shaven mustache hairs out of the sink. Somebody believes me when he hugs me in bed. Don't raise your hand. I know many of you out there understand exactly what I'm saying. And this story brought us closer and closest together because we could finally talk about this. Last but not least, he's still with me. He 777s me because when she used to block him, I'm like, what's number 77? Oh, that's his football jersey. So to this day, just Two weeks ago, I would talk to her. She's remarried. I introduced her to her husband, of course, from Dave, right? So just believe what you see. Believe what you feel. Don't discount it. There you go. Connect with the other side. Because you're never, ever, ever, ever alone. We are always watched, cared for, and loved for. Amen. Good night. Lokonosh in Croatian. Thank you. Havala. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to see the storytellers in addition to hearing them, this entire show is available on the Story Story Night YouTube channel. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and our season sponsor, The Chandro Group. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcast. Have a story? Call the storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message, or click the Stories tab on our website. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.